Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for worship this morning. Father, there's so many things in this world that compete, that try to come against us, that try to pull our allegiance from you. Lord, let us come back to the center this morning as we approach the Christmas season. And let us make you first in our life, first in our hearts, first in our minds. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we magnify you. And Lord, we're not here at a tradition or religious duty, but we're here to worship you in spirit and truth. As you said in John chapter 4, we're here to encounter you, Lord, in your word, in worship, by your Holy Spirit give us that revelation give us that fresh understanding and let our hearts rest in your truth this morning in Jesus' mighty name I pray Amen Amen Amen. you may have a seat and if you don't have a Bible raise your hand I'm going to ask Paul if he would uh, bring a Bible to those guys who don't have a Bible how's everybody doing? y'all ready for Christmas? Because guess what? Ready or not, here it comes. Is it me or does it seem, it seems like everything's just flying by? It seems like Thanksgiving, like we got into the month of November, like, okay, cool, Thanksgiving's, Thanksgiving's coming and it just, it just zipped past us. You know, we only got two more Sundays before Christmas. So we need to celebrate the birth of Christ. We need to rejoice in the birth of Christ. We need to capture everything there is to capture in the Advent season. And, and just find our joy, our hope, and our strength in the Lord. That's what we need to do this Christmas season. Because I'm telling you right now, next year is going to be a big year for us. Theologically studying the scriptures, what, what I feel like the Lord's laid on my heart for our plans for our church. We're going to spend almost probably two-thirds of next year on Sunday morning in the book of Revelation. And then uh, Wednesday night looking studying what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit. So I am super excited and super stoked about what the Holy Spirit's going to do in our hearts and lives as we study the word. You know, we let the word get into our hearts. You know, it's the word of God that changes our hearts. It's the, the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to change our hearts and renew us and give us new strength and new passion. So that's what we want. That's what we want. So anyway, turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 1. I'm bridging us with, uh, today is my uh, first of three Christmas messages to get us to January where we'll start our study in the book of Revelation, but very appropriate looking at the reason for the season, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. What I love about the Gospels is they give us a picture of Jesus' birth from the different angles. Do you know the differences? Does anybody know the differences? There's four Gospels and there's four different uh, angles we get to see Jesus' birth from. What is Matthew's view of Jesus' birth? Joseph. Yes, yes, it's Joseph. Matthew gives us Joseph's view of Jesus' birth. Luke gives us Mary. Thank you. Gives us Mary's birth. Mark, his, his gospel is unique. It starts off with Jesus' baptism and John the Baptist. And then John, the gospel of John, which we're going to read a couple of verses in John this morning, 
gives us Jesus' birth from heaven's angle. From heaven's angle. So we're going to uh, read a couple verses, and then I will introduce the title of my message. But if, hopefully you're there. John chapter 1. Let's look at verses uh, 1. John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3, and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, skip down to verse 14. Verse 14 is a very profound verse that volumes and volumes of commentary has been written on. Um, But verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 is where theologians and pastors get the phrase, the incarnation. The incarnation. What is the incarnation? What does that theological word mean? That, that word, the incarnation, is the doctrine that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came from heaven to earth, wrapped himself in flesh, and lived a sinless, perfect life that we all read about in the Gospels. See, Jesus did not come into existence at his birth. He dwelt from all eternity. He, he never had a beginning. He never had an end. Do you find that hard to understand? Do you find that hard to get your brain wrapped around? Welcome to the club. We're talking about God here. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is Lord and God. He is the eternal, uncreated creator of the universe, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Y'all know the Father, we believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. But why the incarnation is the question, is the title of my message this morning. Why the incarnation? I want to give you five biblical yet simple answers to why Jesus came in the flesh. Now, I know, unless you're living under a rock, that right now there's a lot of things that are competing for your attention in this world. You know, the sinful world is always pulling at us, is always trying to pull us astray. And even when we go into the Christmas season, all the holidays and the, the shopping and the busyness and, the, and all the stuff that, that we get real busy and we get real stressed out over the holidays, pulls and tugs at our hearts. And what I want to do, what I feel like the Lord has told me to do over these next three weeks is to bring your heart back to the center each Sunday. So you're going to go out each week and you're going to get a little frazzled. You might get a little frustrated with all the shopping and all the stuff you're dealing with aunts and uncles and cousins and family members. What I want to do on Sunday mornings is bring your heart back to the center each week to help you make it through the Christmas holidays by answering this question, Why the Incarnation? So let's look at it. I'm going to give you five reasons for the Incarnation this morning. And the first one is found in the the passage we just read. Let's look look back at John chapter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Why the Incarnation? Why did the Word become flesh? Let's look at it. Verse 1. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, the first reason for the incarnation is this. Jesus came to reveal to us that he is the true 
and living God. That he is the true and living God. Now, have you ever wondered why does John call him the word here? Why does he call him the word? Why did, why did he just say, in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God? Why does he call him the word? This word logos in the Greek is a word that's used to convey that Jesus is the exact representation of who Jesus is. And also, Jesus was not his name before his birth in all eternity. Because in Mark chapter 1, the angel says, you shall give him the name Jesus. So in John's mind, John is writing this from heaven's perspective, from eternity's perspective. Not Joseph or Mary, but from God's perspective. So the, the best way he can describe him is the word, the logos of God. There's no word to describe who he is because he's that great and that magnificent. What did, uh, he said to Moses in Exodus, he says, I am that I am. I am the great I am. And Jesus Christ is the true and living God, the great I am. Jesus is the logos. That word means the exact agent and expression of who God is. So from eternity, that's who he is. He is God. He is deity. And that's the fundamental truth of Christianity. If you don't have that truth firmly settled in your heart, you don't have Christianity. Because that's the, that's the whole entire summary of the entire Bible, is that Jesus Christ is Lord God Almighty. And I want to bring to your attention there in verse 1, he says, the word was with God. The Logos was with God, meaning he was co-eternal with the Father. Before his birth, the Father turned to his son, I like to say, and said, Lord, said, son, it's time to go to earth. It's time to fulfill the prophecies. It's time to go down and wrap yourself in flesh. He was co-eternal with the Father. Um, the word was God. The word was with God. Literally in the Greek, it means that Jesus was face to face. He was face to face with the Father. Speaking of his eternal communion with the Father. But he was with God. In other words, Jesus is the eternally existing God. He told the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. If anybody comes to you and says, Jesus never said he was God, they're crazy. Because it's in every single, it's almost in every single chapter of every single book of the New Testament. That's the testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord and God. That's why he was able to live a sinless, perfect life. That's why he was able to perform the miracles. That's why he was able to be the perfect sacrifice. Because he was God. He was, Jesus was reconciling the world to himself in, in God. He was coming down to be the sinless, perfect sacrifice because he was God. And then it says in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. In other words, Jesus was there at creation. And we don't bend on these doctrines. We don't twist these doctrines. We firmly hold to these truths that Jesus Christ is Lord, God, and Creator. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. He says, talking about Jesus, Paul says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones 
or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He, talking about Jesus, is before all things and in, and in him all things hold together. We got any mathematicians in the room? Any scientific scientists in the room? Scientists, mathematicians, people that like to study the universe and figure out, you know, what's, what's out there? Anybody? Any mathematicians? Any science? Anybody interested in the subject? Okay, I see a couple of hands. Cool, cool. All right. So for you couple of guys and anybody else here, so listen to this. Scientists today estimate that there are 100 billion stars in the average galaxy. And there are at least 100 million galaxies in the known space. I'm stretching your minds this morning. Einstein believed that we have scanned with our largest telescopes, only one one billionth of the theoretical known space. This means that there are an estimated 10 octillion, that's octillion, stars in space. How many is that? That's 1,000 thousands, excuse me, 1,000 thousands equals a million, 1,000 millions equal a billion, 1,000 billions equal a trillion, 1,000 trillions equal a quadrillion, 1,000 quadrillions equal a quintillion, 1,000 quintillions equal a sextillion, 1,000 sextillions equal a septillion, 1,000 septillions equal an octillion. Have I lost yet? (laughs) So 10 octillion is a 10 with 27 zeros behind it. And that's just what we can measure. There's probably 10 octillion times that beyond that. But here's the point. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was born in a manger as a babe, he created every single one of those stars, and he knows them by name. Do you see how great and magnificent Jesus is? That's why when I come to church on Sunday mornings, I can't think of anything better to preach on than Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday than preaching about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Forget about that life enhancement stuff and making our life better and all the other nuances of life. Let's talk about the Lord Jesus Christ because when he raptures your heart, and you commit your life to him, he will be everything. He will be everything and in everything. And the incarnation reveals to you and I that the Lord Jesus Christ created all those stars out there, all those planets. He created that, can- that canvas of, of the blue sky that we see outside. And then at night, which is actually, it's not nighttime scientifically. Actually, the earth is orbiting and you're seeing the universe, which we call it the night. But every single 24 hours, God gives you 12 hours to see his glory. 12 hours to sit out on your porch at night and look at the stars and the planets. Psalms chapter 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night unto night they display knowledge. There's no language, there's no voice where their voice is not heard. Jesus, born in a manger 2,000 years ago, was God. He was deity. So he came to reveal to us he's the true and living God. Let's look at the second reason he came to testify. 
uh, the second reason for the incarnation. This is found, this will be up on your screen, John 18, 37. We're going to jump around here, talking about why the incarnation. And what I did is in my sermon preparation this week, to, to let you see the science behind it, is I went and looked for verses that says, he came, or he was sent. I was looking for those key phrases that talked about Jesus going from heaven to earth, and you'll see that in each verse that I bring out this morning. But John 18, 37 says, Therefore Pilate said to him, You are king. Jesus answered, He's, You say correctly that I am a king. Here it is, guys, that phrase coming from heaven to earth. Uh, from, from heaven to earth, yeah. For this, for this I have been born. For this I have, here it is, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate goes postmodern on him and says, what is truth? You know what postmodernism is? Postmodernism is, is the new age thinking today. The, well, what is truth? Well, you got your truth. I got my truth. You know, we all got different truths, which makes no sense at all. Because there's only one truth. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. Okay? So there's one truth. And that one truth that exists is God's truth. That's the truth that changes our hearts. But the second reason, looking at verses, looking at John 18, 37 and 38, that Jesus, the reason for the incarnation is he came to testify to the truth. He came to testify to the truth. Our hearts can be anchored in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? We live in an age of doubt. We live in an age of skepticism. We live in an age of unbelief. And there were people in the scripture that struggled with doubt, that struggled with skepticism, that struggled with unbelief. And Jesus showed them grace. You know, we think about Thomas, doubting Thomas. He said, stick your hand in my side and see, see for yourself. And Thomas falls on his face. I don't know if he fell on his face or not, but he falls down and says, my Lord and my God. Okay? But, the, but, but we live in an age of doubt. We live in an age of skepticism. We live in an age of unbelief. And Jesus gives us the answer to doubt, skepticism, and unbelief, and it's called truth. The word truth is used 192 times in our Bible, 93 times in the Old Testament, and 99 times in the New Testament. I'm going to give you a couple of verses. They're my favorite, and you hear me say them a lot. But the first one is John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the truth, Okay? He's the truth. You can bank your life on him. What does truth mean? Truth means it's not a lie. It's not a deception. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am real. And you can put your trust in me. You can trust me to change your life. You can trust me to fill you with my Holy Spirit. You can trust me through any scenario you find yourself in life. He is the only way, the only truth in the life. All the world religions are not going up the same mountain, just going up different sides, okay? All other religions are false, are not true, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. Here it is, John 14, 7, except by me. So he's the truth. So Christian you're believing the truth. You're trusting in the truth. Just the, the truth that he died on the cross, the truth that he rose from the grave, 
the truth that his spirit's living inside of you, and the, and the truth that one day he will come again. John 17, 17, my other favorite verse. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Bible and the Bible alone is the word of God, and it is truth. When he says, sanctify them in the truth, the thing that changes our hearts, that changes our life, that disciples us, the thing that helps us break free from sin's grip is the sanctifying truth of the scriptures. As you read the word of truth, as you read the word of God, the Holy Spirit uses your study of scripture to mold you and make you and sanctify you. That word sanctify means to be set apart. In other words, he's cutting away the dross. He's cutting away the carnality. He's cutting away the sin that we struggle with and the temptations we face. But it only comes through the word of truth. Many people regard the Bible as just a religious book. It's not. It's God's truth. The unbeliever, the unbelievers like to say to the Christian, well, the Bible, that is your truth, but it's not mine. That statement is incorrect. That statement is not true. The Bible is not your truth. The Bible is not my truth. The Bible is God's truth. And we, you and I, Christian, we choose to believe and trust in his truth. You ever heard that license plate that says, uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it? Technically, that's not true. Because it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Yes, yes, God said it. Yes, we do believe it. And that does settle in our heart. But that doesn't determine truth. It doesn't matter whether a person believes or doesn't believe. Okay? The truth is the truth. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, he says, What if some do not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify the faithfulness of God? He says, Not at all. Let God be true. Every man be a liar. You know, let's, let's, let's question our own existence before we question God's existence because he's the one that created us. It's infallible and errant truth. That's why one of my life verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Why is it that we can trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him? Because he is the truth. And Jesus came into this world, my second reason for the incarnation, he came to testify to truth. You can trust him, you can bank your life on him, you can live for him, and, and it's, it's an amazing, amazing experience being a born-again Christian and serving Christ. There's nothing in it about being religious or following tradition, but it's about following Christ and letting the Holy Spirit work in and through us. Let's continue. Number three, the third reason for the incarnation, and I, and I will recap these at the end. First uh, Timothy chapter one verse fifteen. Looking for, look, I'm looking for those phrases where he came, he was sent. First Timothy one fifteen says, "This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance." That here it is that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why did he come into the world? To save sinners, of whom I am chief. The third reason I present to you this morning, the third reason for the incarnation, is he came to save sinners. He didn't come for the, like, all people are sinners, so he came for all people. 
But he, he came specially for those people who understand, man, I need forgiveness. I remember every single night before I was a Christian, I would lay my head on my pillow at night, and I suffered greatly every night. Every single night, this thought would come to my head, what if I pass away in my sleep? You know, it was a scary thought. And I was not saved, but I knew there was a God. I knew everything my grandma told me about Christ was true. And every night, I would lay my head on my pillow at night, and I'd throw up a Hail Mary. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep the fashion down before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to keep Jesus' name. I pray, amen. I had no idea what I was saying. I just remember hearing it one time, and I'd always say it. Because I always had this fear. Because I knew I was a sinner. I knew the thing I needed most in life was to find out how to be forgiven of sins. And friends and family, the Lord Jesus Christ, he specializes in sinners. Okay? He specializes in the worst of the worst. He specializes in those people who understand that they have broken God's moral law, that they're guilty and they need forgiveness. He shows them grace. It says he came into the world to save sinners. And the only part of the Bible, which I, I disagree with, where Paul says here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, of whom I am the chief. I like to think, no, Paul, you're not the chief. I am the chief. But I think we could all say that, right? I'm the chief of sinners. So when Jesus came into this world, God was implementing a rescue plan. It was not to promote holiday cheer or boast, boast uh, end-of-year sales. Jesus didn't come into this world to serve as the central figure of a nativity set. He came into this world to save sinners. See, we are all infected by a virus that's worse than COVID. And that virus is called sin. It's infected every single human being. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. The mailman's a sinner, okay? And sin has brought spiritual death because we've broken God's law. We're broken on the inside. Our soul is darkened by our sinful actions. And this sin separates us from God, okay? And God's solution for our sin is the cross, is the cross. These are things that we should think of every time we see the nativity, okay? Some of the nativities out there are just downright hideous, okay? Some of them are just downright ugly. You know, they, they got the plastic ones lit up on the inside, and then you got the stick figures, and you got all these. I, how many, by show of hands, who's got a nativity set in their front yard? Okay, so do the Fords, Okay. We got a nativity set. It's still in the garage. I'm still in the shed. My wife will probably have me putting it up this afternoon after speaking on this subject. But, uh, but, but we all have nativity sets. And I, I wonder when the world goes down the road and they see the nativity set in the yard, what do they think of? What do they think of? Do they grasp the meaning of the incarnation? And that's what I want us to help people understand, to grasp the meaning, the depth, and the width of Christ's incarnation so that when we see that nativity set, maybe some of these things that we're talking about this morning will come to your mind. Talking about God's solution um, for our sin is the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, I mentioned it in communion. It says, He, talking about the Father, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, we, before we come to Christ, were objects of wrath. We're objects of destruction, Romans chapter 9 says. We're vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, not by God, but because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our disobedience. But when we come to Christ and put our trust in him, that wrath that was coming our way gets placed on the Lord Jesus Christ at his cross. You remember what he said on the cross? What did he say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Theologians believe at that moment the father was pouring out his wrath on his son for our sin. And then God takes Jesus' perfect righteousness and places it on our hearts and completely forgives us. That's how he saves a sinner is through the cross. Let's look at number four. Number four comes from, uh, I found this one in Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And here it is. He has sent me. There it is in verse, in, in this passage. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to free those who are oppressed. The fourth reason for the incarnation when you see that incarnation on that rainy day and the nativity sets all crooked, think about this. He came to set the captive free. He came to set the captive free. You know, I don't know about you, but when I first came to Christ, a lot of things got broke off instantaneously. Uh, habits, darkness broke off. But there were some areas of my life that were sinful that I brought into my Christianity things that I was enslaved to, things that I couldn't shake loose. But through discipleship and through diving into the things of God, he's given me and brought me to a place of freedom through becoming a disciple. Are you addicted to pornography? Are you addicted to drugs, alcohol? Are you addicted to anger and hatred? Do you feel like in your heart of hearts, man, I'm trusting in Christ. I love Christ. I want to live for him. But I feel like I'm a slave to my sin at the same time. Do you, do you ever feel that way? Has anybody ever experienced that in their Christian walk? I have. You don't have to live there. There is a pathway to freedom. And it's through becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 8 says, For the purpose of the Son of God manifests that he might destroy the works of the devil. See, you and I come into this world under, by, uh, under the control of the dark forces of this world, under the control of Satan and the, de and the demons themselves, living in darkness because our hearts have been darkened by the sin. But when we come to Christ, he breaks off Satan's chains. He breaks off the demonic chains and for some things, you'll experience freedom right away. But the other things that you come into this, that you bring into Christianity, it comes through discipleship. It, it comes through surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to becoming a disciple, to being filled with the Holy Spirit, and to growing in the Word. Okay? So you don't have to stay at that place where you're at, where you're struggling with a particular sin, okay? 
You can give it to the Lord in prayer. You can find accountability with a brother or sister in Christ. You can get into the word. You can spend time in worship. You can seek the Lord with all your heart. And I believe, because I've experienced, he will bring you to a place of freedom. He'll bring you to a place of freedom. He came to set you free, brothers and sisters. Okay? He came to set the captive free. You know, we're in shackles, we're in chains, and we raise it up to him at salvation, and he breaks the chain. He breaks the shackles. And then we continue into our Christian walk, and we grow in holiness. We grow in sanctification. I've never known anybody that come to Christ, experience salvation, and to be in this instant state of perfection. Do you? Did, okay, well, let me ask this. Did anybody here, when they first came to Christ, did you enter into a, a perfect state? Anybody? Okay, glad nobody raised their hand. Because I didn't either. But we grow. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in the word. And, and, we, and, we, and we, that's how we break free. Jesus said in John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. It's about growing, friends. It's, about, it's, it's not about being condemned or condemning yourself, but it's about remembering grace and bringing those things that you struggle with to his throne of grace and saying from an authentic heart, not, not, not using it as a cover to continue in sin, but saying, Lord Jesus, please help me in this area of my life. Help me to grow. And then when he shows you, you have to listen and do what he says. When he says, confess it, repent forsake, get accountability, go talk to your pastor, go talk to your brother and sister in Christ, get somebody to help you, and he will bring you, he will give you um, freedom. So number four, he came to set the captive free. Number five, so this comes from our, the most famous verse in the Bible. It says, uh, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Here's that phrase in here. He gave, talking about the Father gave his only begotten Son. He sent his Son into the world. Again, at the incarnation, the Father looked at the Son and said, It's time. There's, that, there's the virgin that's gonna be, that you're going to be conceived in. And it says he gave his only begotten Son. And look at in the opening of John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world. These, and all these um, reasons for the incarnation, they're kind of like this right here. They all can kind of be linked together. They're all connected together. They all go together. I was reading one uh, commentary this week. Um, I think it was John Piper. I think it was John Piper. But he, he, he wrote a, um, a devotional. And I think he says he gave 30 reasons 30 reasons for the incarnation. But there's so many, but they, they're all interlinked. But the fifth reason, based on John 3, 16, is he came to reveal the Father's love. He came to reveal the Father's great love for us. Think about the convicted criminal on death row. I know some people on death row. I got some friends I went to high school on death row. Think about the prostitute. Think about the drug addict. It's highly unlikely 
that they have convinced themselves. It is highly likely, excuse me, they have convinced themselves that no one loves them. Even worse, they feel redemption is impossible because of the life they have lived. But friend, that is not true. There is one that loves them, and that is God. God loves them. This perfect love, which was displayed to us at the cross, which is the message of Christ, it is a holy love. It is a divine love. It is a perfecting love. It's not this squishy, pampery, romantic love, but it's a perfecting love that says, I want the very best for you. It's a love, it's a love in which God says, that if you will repent and you will turn to me, I will forgive you of your sins. I will give you my Holy Spirit, and I will fill you with my love. You know, one of the things before I was a Christian, I had my few friends I cared about, but for the most part, before I was saved, I cared about one person. I cared about myself. But after I became a Christian and God filled me with his love that he had for me, then that love began to reach out to others. And that is the Father's love that he, he imparts to us when we get saved and we grow in our love for him is he gives us a divine, holy love for all people of all walks of life. And the, and the incarnation reveals to us this great love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The, again, not a squishy love, not a romantic love. The greatest love was displayed at the cross. When uh, a child asks mom and dad, you've heard me say this before, uh, mom, dad, or grandma, or grandpa, how much you love me? We like to extend our arms out and say, I love you this much. God did the same thing for you and I at the cross. He stretched out his arms on a cross where he was nailed and crucified. And he says to each and every one of us this morning, through his scripture and through my preaching and through the testimony of who he is, that I love you this much. What is it going to take for you to completely surrender your life to me if you're not a Christian? He loves you, but you got to repent. You got to say, you know what, I'm done with the old life and I'm going to turn to you, Lord Jesus. He loves you regardless, but you get to experience that love in your heart when you give your life and surrender your life to him. These are the reasons for the incarnation. These are the reasons I hope come to your mind as you're leaving here today on this foggy day. Maybe it'll clear up by the time we get out of here after we eat lunch. But you see those little nativity sets. You say, yep, God loves me. He displayed his love to me by Jesus coming and dying on the cross. Jesus is the true and living God. So why the incarnation? There was five reasons. Number one, why the incarnation? Number one, he came to reveal that he is the true and living God. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a man, not a human being like us. He is the eternal, unchanging God that at his birth, he was wrapped, oops, excuse me, he was wrapped in flesh. We call it the incarnation. That's why he lived a sinless, perfect life. That's why he did the miracles he did. 
That's why he went to the cross. That's why he rose from the grave. That's why we believe he's coming back again because he is the true and living God. Number two, he came to testify to the truth. You know, we're, we're living in a world where people question truth. People question reality. It's called postmodernism. It's, it's, we're living in a new age and a new time. Well, my friend, just because truth changes in people's minds and, and, and different cultures, that doesn't mean the eternal truth of this universe changes. And the eternal, truth of the, the eternal truth of this universe is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he created everything in this universe. And he created you and I to have a relationship with him. Number three, he came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. I was doing a funeral yesterday. And I don't know, I didn't know most of the people that were in the audience. But I remember telling him, I don't care who you are. I don't care how far you've moved away from God, please understand that he is mighty to save. He is mighty to save if you will surrender your life to him, if you will repent, turn from the old life, put your trust in Christ, confess him as Lord and Savior. He will save you. He came to save sinners. He specializes in those guys, in those people, all of us. Number four, why the incarnation? He came to set the captive free. Whatever you're struggling with, no matter how strong it is or how bad it is, know that God is greater, that the Lord Jesus Christ is greater, and he can help you through your addiction. Pull me aside after service, and I'll tell you about my addictions. I'll tell you about the things that held me captive before I was a Christian, and after I became a Christian, the things that I struggled with that I no longer struggle with today because I said, Lord Jesus, I need your help. And it was a fight. It was a struggle. It was a discipleship. It was an ongoing process. But I praise the Lord today that I'm not addicted physically and chemically to the things that I once was addicted to because he came to set the captives free. And the final one, that we just talked about is he came to reveal the Father's great love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is love. He came to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. He came to rescue us from the dominion of Satan in this fallen world and the demonic forces that rule in the spiritual realm. He came to set us free from those things so that we can walk in his light, we can walk in his glory, and not walk in deception, but to walk in the truth. That is the reason for the incarnation. And if you want to make the nativity set in your yard look all nice and pretty, go for it. Make it look nice. Uh, every year... Um, I don't know if I'm going to do it this year or not, but uh, I got a star, but I have to put that star like 25 feet up into the tree. I don't know about putting that star up this year. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of those heights, but yeah, let's, let's have our nativity sets. You know, let's have nativity sets in our yards. Let's talk about them going down the road when we see them, but at the end of the day, let's remember what the nativity was. It was the story of the incarnation. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became 
flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the incarnation, Lord. And I just pray, Father God, for um, everyone that's listening, Lord, that's facing stress, pressure. The Christmas season is upon us. All the shopping, all the family, all the cooking, all the crazy. Lord, help our hearts to go back to what Christmas is all about. And Christmas is about the incarnation. You coming into this world to testify to the truth, to show us who you are, to save sinners, to set us free, and to show us and reveal to us your great love. Lord Jesus, we love you. And as we, here we are at the beginning of December, we go into this month, help us to remember these things and celebrate the real meaning of the season. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen.